0: Welcome to the Exhibit A
1: podcast. We are live, and we have Ralph Framolino with us. Hello, my friend.
0: Hi, how are you doing, Don? Thank you for inviting me.
1: No, thank you. Uh, I love having high-caliber people on this program. I feel very honored and privileged to have you. Uh, We are going to talk today about what you do for people and how it really mixes with uh, the type of work that I do and what my law firm does. And the, the theme today is going to be what to do when someone is trying to smear your name in public. Mm. And, uh, Ralph, could you imagine that happens in divorce cases?
0: Oh, my gosh, what a shock.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, spouses do uh, uh, nasty things to each other, and uh, that's why I wanted to bring you in, because you have an unusual occupation, one that I'm a little bit uh, jealous of. I wish that I could write and do the things that you do, but fortunately I could could rely on you as well. So let's talk, before we get to the topic, I want to talk about you. Sure. And uh, first of all, you're the president of Pivot Hound Communications. That's right. Okay. And that means that you're running a crisis and strategic communications firm that offers high-end media relations services to clients. Mm -hmm. You help clients take control of their own stories or defend their good names when they come under attack. And your services include crisis communications, planning and execution, making media placements for earned coverage, preparing clients for press interviews coordinating social media efforts and what else do you do well um, branding
0: branding uh, in a very light way yes but mostly it's to um get people comfortable telling their stories and many times people don't even know what a good story they have and uh since i was a reporter for 30 years i can listen to what people are saying and they'll think a when actually their their best story is b and i help them build that story build that narrative
1: Okay, and we'll talk a little bit later about why that's helpful for you helping people maintain a reputation or trying to re- rehabilitate people who mm-hmm. are under attack. Okay, you are a graduate of Michigan State University, and I know that because we've attended football games uh, together. Yeah, and you're a pretty uh, big fan of your of your alma mater. And now, looking on the LinkedIn, I looked at your biography before you came in today, and I noticed. Something that didn't surprise me, and that you majored in journalism. You have a, do you have a B.A. and a master's degree in journalism? Uh, just a bachelor's. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you also have a, a counseling psychology uh, degree.
0: Well, I never completed it, but okay. I learned a lot from the master's uh, program that I was in. And, of course, uh, I was going when I was uh, working at a newspaper at the L.A. Times— And as usual, journalism took over my life. I came across a big story and had to drop out of the program, but I learned a lot about speaking to people, talking to people, and how to ask questions.
1: Yeah, and I I was going to say that when I read that, I also saw that you attended uh, California Lutheran University Counseling Psychology. Right. You attended a program Mm -hmm. there. When when I talk with you, it seems like you can see right through me all the time. I don't know what it is, but you have a sense of like, how are you doing, Dan? You know, and, and I'm like, man, am I talking to a doctor? Am I talking to an investigative reporter here, or what? But it's it's a if you don't mind me saying, it's a little bit eerie how much you oh. know people.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And I'm sure that your psychology helps you in, in some respects when you're talking about like talking to people about the reputations and getting them to see parts of themselves that they didn't know about.
0: Right, and part of it is, uh, you know, when I talk to people, many times it's in a crisis situation, and it's trying to calm them down and let them see what is really in front of them because they're dealing with their worst fears. And many times it's a lot better than they think and to try to show them a way out. Um, So it's listening, mostly. When you go through a program like that, you learn how to let people tell their stories and you learn how to understand their stories it's the most basic human instinct is to be understood and once you once a reporter understands that as a basic instinct a reporter will be able to open up whole worlds of information
1: okay so speaking of a reporter you were an investigative reporter for the la times for 24 years and eight months Right. Uh, right. Um
0: well I didn't I wasn't investigative reporter for the full time I, at the end of my career I was on the metro investigative okay. staff yes okay. but I covered uh city uh city
1: affairs
0: uh state government uh, the environment and higher education.
1: And you also worked for other uh very well-known publications. I know uh you worked in Chicago for a while.
0: I did. I was with the Chicago Tribune, but I was as, as an intern when I was a youngster. Okay. That's um, when you started. Mostly with the Los Angeles Times.
1: Okay. And that career as uh, an investigative reporter led you to a very interesting and well-known investigation that you and another uh, uh, reporter did, and that was investigating the J. Paul Getty Museum. Uh, you investigated the antiquities scandal, and later you co-authored a book that got some notoriety. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
0: Sure, Um, and that was the story that interrupted my master's program, by the way, Um, and it had to do with uh, the J. Paul Getty Museum and other major American museums um, not really being totally forthcoming about where they were getting a lot of these antiquities. You go into a museum, and you'll see something that's beautiful. It's, uh, you know, an old Greek artifact, and it'll say from a Swiss collection, well, actually, that's that's a little bit of a clue that it was probably um, it was probably looted uh, from the country of origin and it was brought to Switzerland to cool off and uh, then sold to the museums. Well, the museums knew that this was going on, but they weren't talking about it. So um, we helped expose that by reporting about the Getty. We had a lot of internal docu- documents documents. Uh, showing that they knew all along that they were buying looted art, uh, stolen goods, and uh, they felt that they were you know, following a higher purpose by exhibiting this for people to see. But in the end, they had to face Italian law, and uh, that's when it all came crashing down. So Chasing Aphodi- Aphrodite is the name of the book. That is the book that talks about this phenomena, and it's sort of like a detective story. You follow these antiquities. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and I'm going to say it was a great reading. Oh, thank you. I love that book, and my respect for you is is immense. That must have been something that just working on changed you. You know, It it probably sharpened your skills, and it must have given you a great sense of fulfillment, because uh, for me, you've changed the world somewhat. I mean, you and your co-author exposed this so much that I think it put the— Uh, industry on its heels. Well,
0: uh, yeah, and uh, the Getty, for instance, had to give back 40 antiquities, including its signature um, statue, which is Aphrodite, seven and a half feet. It turned out not to be Aphrodite, after all. Uh, But then the uh, Met had to give back one of its most beautiful pieces, the Euphronius Crater. You had Boston, Cleveland, and Princeton all had to give back artifacts. Over a hundred artifacts had to be given back worth more than a billion Mm dollars. it was all taken illegally.
1: For, for an unassuming man, you have uh, <laughs> made some big changes in this world. Well, because okay. uh, that—that's that, just one of them. I mean, I know that you've also worked on a lot of high-profile cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've helped many high-profile clients um, in in a variety of ways. You know, like uh, for people that may have some. Uh, slandering going on in the public eye and stuff, and you've helped them. Can you explain that part of your your business and how you help people? Well,
0: it's it's interesting because it was that experience uh, covering the Getty that kind of opened my eyes to the limitations of journalism. And and journalism has a rubric; it has a way of approaching the world. It's black white. Uh, a lot of nuance is lost, and a lot of background, a lot of context. And so um, as I was reporting that, I kept thinking, these are really, really smart people. How did they get into this spot? It's not like they're stupid. It's not like they said, we're going to go out and break the law. What was this all about? And the more I reported on it, the more I realized that there are so many different viewpoints to everything. And the more information you get, the different the narrative becomes. And so it started to expand my view of human behavior, my view of how we view people and how we tell their stories, and um, I ended up in the place I'm in now, where I realized that uh, there are different perspectives, obviously, and they can be just as compelling. And we are now in a media landscape where there are not uh, monopolies on the truth, you have social media, you have, you know, that includes Facebook, that includes Twitter, you can get your story out, right? And we are also in an age where I can identify myself, if I want to, as gay, as straight, as a uh, leaning more towards female, leaning more towards male, I self-identify. Well, I get to tell my story. It's my story. And so that's what I help people do: identify and tell their story. Many times under media stress, because people are being attacked by, you know, their competitors, by haters, um, and they're getting, they're giving, they're feeding things to reporters. And so we battle back by saying, no, 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 no this is the full narrative. This is the full story. Here are some facts you need to consider. And it becomes like the law, where you have people who take different positions, and then in the end, the reader or the news consumer is the judge. He or she makes that judgment of what is the correct narrative. So that's that's the ecosystem I'm working in today.
1: And, and because of your experience and your connections— and your, your knowledge of the industry, you're able to go to the right places to try to inf- counter the influences. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the examples you would give on, uh, or to a client who came in and said, hey, you know, somebody's uh, attacking me in public. You know, I've got a, a lawsuit that's possibly pending against me, and I'm getting eaten up by this false information in the press. You know, what are some of the things that you would tell, tell a person like that? Well, the
0: first thing you have to do is learn the facts. Right. And so you sit down with your client. You look at all the documents. I do what's called a scrub. I go in as if I were an investigative reporter and I say, let me see all your files. Sit down. Let me interview you. Let me let me interview the people who are associated with this story. And then I look at the facts. And then what's very important is to look at the context. Context is something that journalism kind of puts to the side. And, and the context determines everything, right? Mm. And then what I do is I present the what I consider the truthful and accurate view of this subject to the journalist. Now, I know how a journalist thinks. I think like a journalist. I still consider myself, in my heart of hearts, a journalist. Mm. So I can speak the language, and I can present it in such a way to say, look, it doesn't have to be 100% our way. But it doesn't have to be 100% the other way either. You need to consider these facts because these are very important, and I can back them up with documents. I can have you interview certain people. I can tell you who to talk to. I haven't talked to these people, but you should. And so what we're basically doing is I'm thinking I'm adding information and value to that reporter's information stream, okay? And by that, you start to change and shape the narrative so that it's not so one-sided.
1: Godsend, man. For people, <laughs> that are a lot of stress. Man, meeting you and having you do work like that has got to be just unbelievable uh, stress relief. Uh, one of the cases that you worked on that I hope you don't mind me talking mm. to, uh, to you about, but it, it kind of works in with what I do and with the uh, family law issues. Is you worked on the Sterling case, right? And uh, you you in your prior to you opening up your own business, you worked uh, for another agency on this case. Um, that was a case that involved a, a little bit of uh, a love triangle, I guess, or you know, uh, uh, you know, somebody stepping outside of his marriage, and then there being a lot of publicity, and it ended up uh, reflecting poorly on business interests and things of that nature. And that was a Sterling right. case again. Can you talk about, you know, in that case, uh, some of the uh, things that you had to do in order to manage the the information out there? Yeah. Well,
0: Donald and Shelley Sterling are the biggest landlords uh, in. L.A. County, and they own the Clippers, the basketball team. And uh, Don and Shelley are older, you know, they're older folks. They're they were in their seventies and eighties. And Don had girlfriends, and they were, you know, they were estranged at times, and they weren't estranged as a couple. Well, this time he had a girlfriend. He was living outside the house, and he made a racist comment to the girlfriend, who recorded it and then leaked it to TMZ. Okay, so now you got. A problem. racist, you know, you've got a problem. Yeah. What my firm did is we represented Shelly. Now, Shelly is 50% owner of the Clippers, but she was being dragged into the mud and being smeared by what Don had done. And so, what we worked with the legal team here, and what we did is we tried to fix in the public's mind the fact that Shelly is a separate person after all we are in a, an age where women are considered separate people individuals and make up their own minds they're accountable for their own uh, their own behavior not their spouse's behavior and so we said why not apply that to shelley and we were able to i believe over time to show her as an individual number 1 she never she never made the remark there were others who were accusing her of being racist but we disproved that and then we Gave her her voice. Shelley, tell your story, and she did. She did. She did the last Barbara Walters interview. The Barbara Walters did. She talked to the New York Times. She talked to all sorts of different outlets, and she was basically saying, "Look, I didn't. I didn't do this, and this is half mine." Well, that resonated with the NBA, and the NBA said, rather than take this team away from both of you and sell it at a fire sale. Shelly, you know you can't hold on to it because of the Sterling name and what's happened. But we're going to let you control the sale. That woman who was in Donald's shadow her whole life came through and did what nobody could do. She did what, what the NBA couldn't do, the city couldn't do, the Clippers couldn't do for themselves.
1: Mm.
0: She found a buyer, and she brokered a deal in which she sold that franchise for a record $2 billion. Mm. Now... How she had to do that? She had to move her husband off the trust that controlled the team, and she was able, and she did go to court to show that he was not competent to be a trustee. And As sole trustee, then, she was able to sell the team. This is somebody who was always in the shadows and actually wanted nothing to do with the media, but Part of what she was able to do was to get people to believe her story.
1: Okay, and when, when you're talking about the shadows, there was somebody that was sitting in the shadows in that case, and that was you because you were sitting right next to her in court.
0: Well, I wasn't in the shadows, Don. I was. I mean, if you if, <laughs> well, you, if well, you if you go, if, if you I read up, the
1: paper though, I wouldn't see your name. But you were very active. You would in the see case. me in the pictures though, yeah. because I yeah. was the
0: guy keeping you know <laughs> trying to keep the reporters from you know uh, ganging up on her, but uh, and walking with her to the car. But no, I sat next to her in court. Uh, The whole time. And when you're you're talking about
1: going to these uh, Barbara Walters and doing these interviews and things, those are some of the things that you were active in right? getting her prepared. Right, getting her
0: prepared and also making it possible.
1: Okay, and that's something that I've seen you do on a few cases. Uh, Really impressive how you're able to uh, get press releases out there and to make the connections you do so that your client is speaking to the people and putting things in their light. And I'm sure that, uh, Ms. Sterling was very appreciative of, uh, of your work on that case. I mean, to be honest with you, so should Mr. Sterling. <laughs> he was of sound mind. I mean, you, you basically, uh, saved a lot of, a lot of uh, money for the family. Um, one of the other cases and I didn't have this on my outline, but I hope you don't mind me speaking of this is you and I have a good friend by the name of Jeff Milan. And, uh, uh, he's an attorney locally. Uh, he was involved in a case, and you assisted him in in, in that case. Uh, there's two things that I remember about that. One is is that you helped draft the pleadings uh, so that the story came out. Could you talk a little bit about that?
0: Well, I didn't so much draft the pleadings, but um, i i and I do this for all, and I work with a lot of attorneys so this is this is sort of uh, stock and trade for me is that you've got to understand reporters. They don't have time to go through a 19-page you know di- uh, pleading, whereas whereas whereas, whereas therefore. yeah, huh? You've got to put it up front. You've got to have a summary that gives the most important information and then points to areas where if they have to jump down into page 17, for instance, where they can look at this. because reporters are under a tremendous amount of pressure. In the old days, I could wait to five o'clock and file my story. Now, you're competing on a moment-by-moment basis with other outlets. So the sooner you get that story up, the better it is for you as a reporter. So what I dedicate my time to is making things as easy as possible for reporters to get the main points, even to the point where, in some cases, we might under an embargo uh, basis, go to the reporter and say, here, this story's coming out. Have a first look at this. Any questions here? Because it's kind of complicated. And we know that we're doing a service to the reporter and we're doing the service to the client to get that story out accurately. So in this case, we know, I don't want to mention what the case was. Right, right. Um, I reviewed, the, uh, I reviewed the, the filing and said, Jeff, you need, you need actually an overview here and um sorry i'm italian i walk i talk with my hands so i'm bumping the microphone but um and 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 that was very helpful it because was very he, helpful. and it was also helpful for him because he had to do you know press statements in the way that just like a little holding statement he was able to see how you had to compress all this together and make it pithy and make it to the
1: point. That's what lawyers do, and they, you know, for opening statements. So you really <laughs> helped him with that, even his opening and closing statements in that regard. I, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I knew that you guys were working on this case, and of course, I was very uh, interested in it because it involved a, something that was newsworthy. I was on vacation. I believe I was in Florida, and I and I woke up one morning, looked at the paper, and there was this press release man there's a, there was this article on this story, and it just like hit me like, boom, it was the first, you know, the first thing that I saw, uh, and I know that was strategic as well. You got ahead of the story so that you didn't let the other side control the, the narrative.
0: Well, we were going to control it anyway because we were the first mover, and that's something I would like to emphasize to your listeners is that many times people believe, well, if there's a story coming out, I shouldn't say anything, and it'll go away in today's digital world. It's there forever. It's on the Internet. If you want to see your reputation, Google yourself. That's your reputation, the first two pages of your Google listing, okay? So if somebody is the first mover, they have an advantage. They set the narrative, and then everyone else follows that narrative. So in where, let's say, you're going to file for divorce. You're going to file on behalf of a client for divorce, You have that advantage because you open the conversation and you get to say what your narrative is, right? Right. And uh, in this case, we were going to have the advantage because we were filing uh, the complaint, but it had to be crystal clear because if you don't have it right on point, then the adversary or other commentators can take it and twist it and turn it. And so that's what it was, was sharpening the pencil, more yeah. or less.
1: Yeah, well, It was good. Wow. So um, let's move over to family law a little bit. Okay. Um, you, like we started this, we're talking about you know, people doing things and saying things in public to smear somebody's reputation. Do you think that today it's more of a problem than it was, say, 30 years ago? Yes. And, and why is that?
0: Well, because I think people are getting, um, they're getting wise, I guess is the right not Maybe not the right word, but they're getting wise to the fact that there are two conversations going on, at least, in a legal proceeding. There's the legal conversation that's made within the courthouse with the rulings and whatnot. Then there's the public conversation, okay? And essentially today, you're operating in a world where there are no walls in the courtroom. This smartphone that you have in your pocket, the judge has one. The potential jurors have one. The clerk has one. Everyone in the courthouse has one. And if your trial is or your, your case is significant enough, um, and it doesn't have to be that you've got to be a world-famous star, you could have a restaurant. You could have an establishment, a business, right? And um, it's a family business that people may know about or may do some significant uh, revenue. If it's involved in a court case, it's going to pop up on that smartphone if people Google you, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so people are becoming aware of the fact that the conversation you have in the public narrative affects
1: yeah, the a legal. Doubt. more than ever.
0: Right? Yeah. And so they're becoming wise to that, and they're starting to use it. And they're able to use it because there are a lot more tools. Google, you know, picks up the Facebook posting, Twitter, the tweets – Uh, Instagram. All these things come up now on Google. And these are things, uh, the platforms that you control. So the old game was, could I interest the newspaper in covering my case? Now you don't even need that. Now people go right around the newspaper and they just do social media uh, campaigns. And if you get enough traction there, that generates news stories, yeah. right? So it's kind of turned things on their head a little bit, and people are using social media more and more.
1: Yeah, so do you have any st- statistics you could share w- with us?
0: Well, uh, just a few. Um, uh, you know, how important is a reputation? I, I, I like to tell people, that, you know, the good book in Proverbs says that a good name is more desirable than great riches, and uh, to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. But it also is silver and gold because um, when uh, recently, a recent uh, uh, poll of communications professionals found that they estimated more than half of a company's revenue is attributed to its product, its brand equity, its reputation. Okay, so what people think about it. And 75% of these people felt that they were unprepared if they were to be attacked. And mostly they'll be attacked on social media. I found a mouse in my soup, you know. I found a fly in my, my breaded chicken. And all you need is one tweet. Um, Yelp, for instance. Mm-hmm. People are scared to death of Yelp. P- someone will come in, they don't like the meal, and many times they haven't even been there, right? right? right. And they're tweeting about you or they're putting something on your Yelp review. And, and study after study shows that if you got one or two bad dings on your Yelp review uh, or on your Google results, people stay away. And that's the pernicious thing of it is you don't know how much you're losing because people never say, oh, I would have I come and eaten at your restaurant, but no, I'm not going to do it now because I read this on Yelp. They just stay away. And you start to see this drag yeah. on your revenue. So you need to be prepared. And if you're going to go into a divorce or a family law situation uh, and you have a profile in your community, one of the things your attorney should do is prepare you uh, to speak about it or to have your attorney ready to speak about it. Um, The other thing that is generating a lot of what you've noticed as phenomena is when you file something in a court case, right, It's privileged, so it could be the most outrageous lie. But a reporter can report it. Yeah, anybody can report it. It's privileged, right? right? Privilege
1: being meaning what to you? Uh,
0: Meaning that you can't sue me for saying it, right? Right. It's it's privileged. People lie in
1: family court all the time.
0: I'm I'm shocked (laughs) to hear that, Don.
1: (laughs) What time is it right now? Yeah, people are lying right now. (laughs) No, and I I
0: I I told you before that when I was a reporter. Uh, and I wanted to do a profile of anybody, I, the first thing I would ask is, have they been divorced? And I would go right to that divorce filing, and I would find their financials, and I would dig out all the dirt, right? And at that point, it was up to me to say, okay, is this is this really real, or is it just something that's being thrown around? I had to make that evaluation. Uh, some reporters don't care. You could say that, you know, your ex you know broke 15 windows and they uh, reporters will put that in the paper and say according to the lawsuit and they feel like morally they're okay. Um I never felt that way and I think a, a responsible reporter will weigh that but that possibility is there. Yeah. And so w- the other question is what is a reporter anymore? It used to be a craft like a guild. You would come up through the ranks. You would learn how to how to treat people, what was good, what wasn't. Now, I don't have to buy a printing press to put out a publication. I have to buy a laptop or maybe a smartphone, and I'll go to the court, and I'll just, I'll just you know, take a picture of that page and send it out without any context, without any perspective, and you're toast. Yeah. Because on the smartphone, when that link comes up, it all looks the same. You could have the New York Times, and you can have the Schwartz, uh, Schweitzer Times right there, you know, yeah. and it looks the same.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had a case where I represented a public figure, and uh, it was amazing what the reporters were getting a- ahead of me, even, the pleadings and things like that. They right. were, like, digging in the court file. So in your in your profession, if it was a, a divorce case, and, you know, you got somebody who is being uh, preyed upon, you know, the way that you've described— uh, what would you be doing to help them? Well, what are the kinds of things? Because obviously <sighs> I have to give you some specific facts. But Yeah, it's
0: spe- because so much of this is fact-driven, but obviously you will know uh, as the attorney um, – you will know what the vulnerabilities are of this person, right uh, whether a person has had a domestic uh, violence uh, uh, issue or whether there was some accusation of uh, you know sexual assault or anything an affair an affair affairs i don 't know i don 't know how much people get jazzed about that depending on whether you 're a minister you know or whether yeah. you 're somebody who's self righteous about it, and then all of a sudden it turns out you have an affair, then hypocrisy always is a good excuse to do a story. Um, but uh, I think um, I think what you're talking about here are knowing in advance what the vulnerabilities are, knowing in advance what the worst could be said, and then putting in your own filings um, something that could be used to mitigate that, all right? So you have a reporter or you have someone who's looking at this filing. You can say, yes, they say that. We address it here mm-hmm. and it's equally privileged. So that way you open the door for the reporter to say okay this side says this this side says that. So you got a 50-50. You're not going to get any better than that when yeah. it comes to a filing. Yeah. Think about the disadvantage you have though if you don't put it in your filing, if you don't put in something defensive in your filing, you've got someone making an accusation and then you've got an attorney calling or maybe I'm calling saying, let me give you some background on this. The reporter's naturally going to say, well, you know, I'm going to weigh this. And if you were really serious, you would put it in your filing. So I'm going to give a little bit more weight to what is already in the
1: filing. Interesting. Well, we are getting uh, well into the program. I want to change topics a little bit. I've got some fun stuff for you to weigh in on, if you don't mind. Okay. Okay. So I've noticed, I I look at articles all the time about divorce and and things that, uh, you know, we're all familiar with the cases where a celebrity is going through a divorce, and there's a lot of uh, coverage over you know, the fighting over the kids and things of that nature. I've come across two articles where they're talking about the divorce isn't happening or it was dismissed. And I'll show you the, the first article. It involves uh, a gentleman by the name or an actor by the name of Jim Belushi. Oh, I know him, yeah. From Chicago. Mm-hmm. He, and it says he just pulled a 180 on his divorce case, filing for the uh, case to be dismissed in court. And, you know, it's not so much that this is happening why I'm bringing this on this uh, program, but who would have been given the uh, press this information? Uh, it sounds, doesn't that look like it might be a concerted effort from him or his handlers to say, uh, hey, back off, you know, I've dismissed this or, or what?
0: Well, typically in a celebrity issue like this, you've got both sides talking to the press. Um, and this is a TMZ? Yes. Yeah. yeah. TMZs, um, I got to say, uh, Harvey Levin, who is the person who created TMZ, he's an attorney, yeah. and he, he covered the OJ trial. He knows the law backwards and forwards, and he's a very reasonable person. Yeah. I've dealt with him before, um, and but his main thing is to get the news first. He wants people to quote TMZ, which is a very smart branding um, uh, strategy. So um, he's talking to the sides. He knows his, what's coming down. And, yes, uh, celebrity publicists will leak things here and there that look favorable or unfavorable uh, to depending on what. Yeah, for some what reason, I think spend. the
1: public looks looked upon people badly because they're going through a divorce. You know, and they well uh, get hammered uh, because of that. Sometimes.
0: They do. But, you know. How many people get divorced? What's the percentage? Yeah, so there's at least
1: fifty percent, right? Well,
0: okay, and so that uh, I think the wow factor is a little less now than it used to be. Yeah. you know, it's not the nineteen thirties anymore, the nineteen forties. Uh, people get divorced. That's almost like a stage of life. You know, you go to elementary school, middle school, sure. high school, but blah blah blah, and then you get divorced, wh- wh- right? Why and why then do you get wh- remarried. Why don't they keep <laughs> so reporting on it though? Yeah, why, why they? Well, keep because re- it's interesting. Okay, you know,
1: and it's a change. Okay, well, here's another one: Steve Harvey's wife. Um, pretty much just shut down the divorce rumors. So this is one where there wasn't even a filing from what I could see. Uh, And the article says, is Steve Harvey getting a divorce from his wife of 11 years? You know, it's on everybody's mind. But then, uh, you know, Marjorie herself uh, would never allow that to happen and, you know, put out the statement that they're not getting a divorce. Now, this looks like it's a spin control to me.
0: Well, and you have to look at and I'm not going to mention the publication. Yeah, I'm not going to mention the <laughs> publication. I will tell you this publication is not ranked up there with CNN okay. and New York Times, right? Okay. And so I, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. One of the secrets uh, in, in today's journalism ecosystem is it's all about the headline, right? Because you need to click yeah. on this article, right?
1: I know, I know a lot of the articles don't have anything to do with the headlines these days. Bingo. Yeah.
0: Bingo, and that's affecting even mainstream media. You watch, and I've watched how the headlines have changed, and they'll say things like, "This California town is, you know, facing the most, uh, the biggest threat from fires this season." That you have to click to yeah. find out what. Instead yeah. of Stockton will be facing the highest, you know, uh, you know, risk for fires this season, which is an old-fashioned headline, yeah. right? Yeah. That's why things are changing this way, and you know, is Steve Harvey getting into, put a question mark in your headline? You're going to get a click. Well, you can uh, raise, you know, is is Don Schweitzer really eight feet tall? <laughs> question mark.
1: No, for all my views. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> although he wishes he was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Last article. Now, this is something that I want your uh, your viewpoint as to uh, whether this is a good way to. Publicize you know people's feelings, and this is about men around the country wearing high heels to walk a mile in their, her shoes. So apparently, there's a group of men that are thre- Have you heard of this story?: No, OK, so there is a uh, domestic violence movement, or you know, to go to fight that, and the men have been showing up to these events, and they've been filmed walking around in women's high heels as a statement against domestic violence and apparently it's catching wind it was done up in i think San Jose and there's uh, Chicago, Chicago too by yeah. the way yeah so what do you think about uh, that type of publicity well
0: this is the, you know we used to call these brights these are these are cute little stories they're kind of funny chuckle you know medicine is the best laughter kind of thing in readers digest right and um, what, what I think about that, I love these little kind of articles. I look for these things myself. I think they're kind of amusing, and people are goofy, you know? And actually, this is, this is quite, um, it's quite clever to, for men to do this, to walk a mile in her shoes. I'll bet you, anybody, you're going to see this, like, for a lot, for yeah, a long time. Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, and this is also clickbait, you know? People, yeah. people and it's, it's, it's eye candy, basically, you know, news candy.
1: And possibly attracting attention to a very serious problem in yes. society. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Cool. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. Yeah. Thank yeah, you Ralph, so much. Thank you. And, uh, you know, uh, for all of our viewers out there, uh, just contact me because Ralph is a personal friend of mine. And if you're interested in utilizing his services or getting to talk to him as a consultation, I, I'm certainly a person that would strongly make a referral. Thank you. Thank and, you, And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get you on the show again sometime. Good. Okay. Thank you for uh, watching Exhibit A. Exhibit A is produced by David Lindley at the Law Offices of Donald P. Schweitzer in Pasadena, California. For more information, visit us online at PasadenaLawOffice.com and all social media platforms.